Grab your popcorn, sharpen your knives, and get ready to savor the flavors of the movies. Welcome to Filmmaker's Cookbook. Each episode, we're cooking up a storm. Right now, we're on a cooking spree, You might, one might say. We're going through AFI's top 20 films. This week, we're talking about the hottest film out there. Some like it hot. Some Like It Hot is a classic 1959 American comedy film directed by Billy Wilder. The movie follows the story of two musicians, Joe and Jerry. JJ over here. Before JJ Abrams, there was there was this JJ. Is that funny? I'm trying to get my comedy shoes on right now. So we're working our way up to comedy. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, Joe and Jerry witness a murder and have to disguise himself as woman to escape the mob. They join an all-female band where Joe falls for the lead singer, Sugar Kane, while Jerry attracts attention of an old millionaire. The film is known for its witty humor, fast-paced plot, and iconic performances by Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, and Jack Lemmon. Some Like It Hot is considered one of the greatest comedies ever made and has become a cultural icon over the years. Here today, we are going to talk about this film, break it down, convert those ingredients, I'm using air quotes here, into flavors, and make a dish that best represents the film, Some Like It Hot. As always, I am your host, Michelangelo, and I am joined, as always, with my mobster friend, Charles. Hey, that's me. Is that what mobsters sound like? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Let's watch the trailer. Not since Scarface, so much action. Not since the Marx Brothers, so much comedy. Not since the seven-year itch, so much Maryland. The best picture this year will also be the funniest. Good night, sugar. Good night, honey. There's one thing sure, boy never met girl like this before. You've never laughed more at sex, or a picture about it. You stay here as long as you like. So Chase, what did you think of the, the trailer for this film? When I first started watching it, I had my YouTube player set to t- double speed. So I was okay. like, this is such an interesting choice that they've chosen to play it so quickly. <laughs> but no, then I fixed it. And you know, it's a pretty stereotypical trailer of the 1950s. It's kind of, this movie has this actor and this movie has this actor and this movie we show you this musical number and this movie you know it's you know going to be about this and there's an announcer talking about everything not the most engaging of trailers but it's a very straightforward advertisement we'll say that Mm. i like how they called their shot in the trailer they're like this movie is gonna win best picture and it's a comedy it didn't but that's cool i mean hey they they, they called it but i i kind of thought that out of the other trailers we've watched for these movies i think this one particularly felt very straightforward here's pretty much the premise of the film yeah you're kind of given like the the kind of the beats of the first half of the film pretty much it's a very studio film this film actually and i think this trailer really shows that this is like the studio's showcase for this year you know it's got our big name celebrities you know it's got everything from music to laughs to drama to whatever everybody can find something they'll enjoy about this movie kind of movie as opposed to like i don't know like a a smaller movie or a more niche audience geared movie this one's very mass appealing yeah definitely and definitely the trailer kind of really flaunts Amplifies that. Amplifies well. that, yeah. Yeah. But we're here more to 
to talk about the film itself. Kind of interested to get into this a little, little more and talk about some of these things. So let's do that. <laughs> cool. Without further ado, let's start discussing Some Like It Hot. You know, I already gave a little bit of an overview of what the film's about. What's your impression of it? Like, you don't have to go into your concession impression of it because it's not what we're doing here today. But like, how do you like it? Does it appeal to you? So this film actually, the first time watching it, I watched it in film school, uh, in a film class. And I watched it and we had to like study it for, it was like one of the, the, the like so-and-so films that it was like an introductory class to film so a lot of what i learned about this film was through that class and the teacher kind of like been pointing certain scenes and being like oh this scene this thing happened or like this that this this and like had some like interesting tidbits throughout the film so i think the first time watching it i kind of was mostly like watching it through a like student's eyes of like i'm trying to study this film instead of just like oh this is a fun film and I think watching it again recently for this episode, I was kind of more just like, I'm just going to watch this film and just kind of see see how it goes. And I think it's interesting watching it now because of those points of where it's like, in a way, it feels so a product of its time that's like kind of ahead of its time. But then again, now looking back at it, it's like ahead of its time. It's like two steps forward, three steps backwards in a way almost, where a lot of it's kind of like, you know, you're a sexualizing woman and you're like, wasn't he like in the beginning, he like, when they go to each room and they're like, any work for us, any work for us, any work for us. And then he goes to the last room and he's just like, oh, you know, I was like doing this, doing that. And he like goes up to her and starts like petting her face and and doing things like that. It's kind of like a little slightly creepy scene. It reminds me of the original Ocean's Eleven movie with like Frank Sinatra and everyone in it. Mm -hmm. Where at one point, I believe he just like smacks a girl across the face and they're like, ah, woman and then they just kind of walk a lot like you know when bats and i it kind of has like that vibe but then it's like has some of those interesting things of like showing men dress up as women i don't know what do you think about it chase well i mean i think part of his character is that he's like a womanizer uh, i i actually think now that you bring that up it makes me think about the movie to- tootsie 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 however you say it whatever which is a 70s movie i think 70s or 80s and it's a similar kind of concept where a womanizing man who is broke and needs work, only he's an actor and not a musician, ends up dressing as a woman and immediately finding work and then learns how difficult it is to live life as a woman, thereby resolving his misogyny and becoming a better person. So like this movie has a little bit of that, only it's less explicit than in Tootsie. But uh, yeah, I think the main scene that they kind of talk about that is when they arrive to Florida and that they have that conversation in the hotel room where it's like, it's so hard to be a woman because you always have to be like at your tip top, like perfect appearance, perfect everything but then yet at the same time everyone's kind of taking advantage of you and like being mean to you touching you and being all these like crass things towards you Uh, besides that point i feel like for the rest of the film it kind of just is just a comedy that they kind of overlook that entire i think that's very emblematic of billy wilder though he he rarely says anything explicitly with his movies but he touches upon a lot of deep issues you know like you could think of his probably his most famous movie other than this movie is sunset boulevard is that the actual title of the movie? Yeah, yeah. We're going to yeah, watch yeah. that movie in uh, a few months, maybe. Okay. So maybe maybe we'll stage some commentary for that. But that movie is pretty explicitly about Hollywood and 
some of the the dark things that happen in Hollywood and about aging and about, you know, celebrity and all these other things. And he never explicitly calls it out. He never proselytizes about it or or, uh, says anything explicitly about it. He just kind of shows you like, like this is the reality of what being a woman is in 1950s America is that you're you're not a real like a fully fledged person you're kind of a property and that has these following effects on your psyche as you can see with the kind of tragic comedic hero that is Marilyn Monroe even that carried over into her like her actual public image to some degree is that like she's not allowed to be like a real person she's Mm just a symbol of sex and the bimbo blonde and that kind of ideal as opposed to being like a fully realized complex person and then you see throughout the movie if you're paying attention which i I think a lot of people in the 1950s might not have been paying that much attention but you you can see that she is a really well-rounded character actually she has hopes and dreams she has she's smarter than she, than you would initially guess she actually makes lots of strategic choices throughout the movie she kind of catches on to certain things that people don't really see her catching on even though she obviously she she thinks the guy's a millionaire right but she she also is like what, what does she say oh i'm gonna call my my stockbroker and have him buy 50,000 whatever for, for Venezuelan oil. And that's, you know, showing that she's kind of, kind of smarter than you would guess the, like the, the bimbo blonde would be as it is classically portrayed in film. So do you feel like then this movie holds the test of time and is a comedy that can be rewatched to this day? Like there's so many comedies that I think even five years, 10 years, you know, it, it just kind of the comedy in the movie is problematic and is kind of questionable if you're kind of allowed to watch it because it's, you know, so yeah, against I mean, everything. So I think like, is this, does this film hold the test of time, do you think? Yeah. I mean, nothing ages typically as poorly as comedy. <laughs> there are movies that were comedies a year ago that I feel like you couldn't watch today because they wouldn't be funny. Like, like for instance, in the last couple of years, how many different comedies about Trump and the Republican Party have there been in the last, I don't know, two and a half to four years? And none of them are funny today. They're all so boring. But, you know, at the time, they were kind of funny. <laughs> but they age really poorly because what you're satirizing as a comedy is what matters if you're satirizing something that is timeless like say sexism like say people in poverty trying to get out of poverty like say crime and like say the movies because part of this is a satirization of the crime genre as a whole those are all kind of timeless things and so if you're satirizing those you could still watch those and still get the jokes 10 15 20 30 years later or even you know, almost 80 years later. When when was this made? Was it 80 years, 60, 70 years, whatever? Yeah. You can still right. get the you can still get the humor because those are still very real concepts in your life, in everyday life today. Yeah, I agree. I think like even watching this again the other night, I did find some of the scenes funny, and I actually can't didn't I should have wrote down what jokes they were, but maybe like the shell thing or like a lot of just the different like random gags or twists and turns and just like 
randomness that this kind of story goes down. It kind of feels like a a snowball that's going down a mountain that just kind of builds and turns and picks up branches and stuff along the way into this like big ball at the end. But did you know that the film originally meant to star Frank Sinatra and Mitzi Gaynor as the the lead roles? That would have been a really different movie. <laughs> I think so. Like when I was thinking about Frank Sinatra being in it, I was like, ooh, this would have been I don't I don't know if he if he would have done a lot of this this things. Like I can't imagine Frank Sinatra in drag. In drag or or <laughs> doing a lot of these like different voices or comedy stuff. I don't see it. Yeah. I mean you can't beat Tony Curtis and Jack Lemon as far as comedic talents go. Jack Lemon in particular, I think, is one of the best dramatic comedy movie actors ever. Like have you have really? you, you surely seen the movie like The Apartment? Uh I have and don't call me Shirley. Exactly. <laughs> it's so dark and so satisfying and so funny in, in this like awful way. And I, I love that. And that's all because uh, actually that's also a Billy Wilder film and also Jack Lemmon, you know, great pairs, you yeah, know, Lemons certain actor pairs. director pairs are legendary. Billy Wilder exactly. and Jack Lemmon is one of them. This is maybe one of the few films that I've watched that had Marilyn Monroe in it. Even though we just were talking about All About Eve, which had a little cameo or like one of Marilyn Monroe's like first appearances in film. And now this one, she's like a main star. But I, it was something that we learned in the film school, which I'm sure that everyone who's watched this film already knew. But did you know that two things? One, in the film, she had trouble remembering her lines, so Billy Wilder had to write her lines on props and places around the set, so then she can she can read them as she was going around the room and doing her acting. I, I could see that. This was one of her last roles, right? She died not too long after this, right? You know, to be honest with you, I know very little about Marilyn Monroe, so I didn't even know that she. I thought when I heard that she was pregnant during this film as well i was like oh did she have a kid and then i was like oh no i guess she had several miscarriages so yeah, she was really really unhealthy yeah she died uh less than three years after this oh wow dang that's sad yeah and i think she was uh in the height of her alcoholism and her drug addictions and all, all of the tabloid fodder which you know like that's another element that that doesn't get discussed enough about with Marilyn Monroe is that we really don't know what is the true story because there's so many lies and so many people lit making shit up about her and so many tabloid stories that are not fact-checked at all and the sources are all shady people who just want to say they were in a room with Marilyn Monroe for five minutes, you know, and have that be a part of their story. So like, it, it's really difficult to say what all is true and what all is fiction. And that's where you get kind of these interesting movies like Blonde, which came out in this past year, that had such a negative reaction because it was kind of intentionally breaking some of the uh, Marilyn Monroe stereotypes and Marilyn Monroe ideals, ideas in popular culture. And so it just pissed off all of her fan base. And so the, the massive negative reaction to it has been fascinating. But that's a whole other movie. Yeah, <laughs> this, is, yeah, true. this is what's so great about this series of like the top 20 AFI films is that they are so massively influential and so interconnected that they just make you think about all of these other films when you're watching True. them. Uh, but also, I want to say one last thing about Marilyn before we go on. And that is that, do you also know that the song and the scene that she sings, I Want to Be Loved by You, it was actually dubbed 
by a professional singer named Beverly Azure. Because I think, I guess at this time, she couldn't sing the song. So they had to get someone to sing and they dubbed it over. Something about that only makes me love it more. (laughs) Nice. Everything, everything being kind of this uh, facade. Yeah. That's just like perfectly Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. I wanted to say one last thing that, you know, it's a comedic thing. It has some, it has a lot of really great moments, a lot of great scenes, a lot of great jokes. One of the most famous lines, though, is the last line of the film, which was improvised by Joey Brown, which is, well, nobody's perfect. That's just the perfect line. Yeah, it's a great, great ending to it. And, you know, I think it's something that we can all live by a little bit. Hey, Mm -hmm. you know, we we here on this podcast, we're not perfect. It's such a perfect way to end this story, too. And the fact that it's it was ad libbed and not initially written into the story makes it even that much greater. But this whole story is just about all of these imperfect characters doing less than ideal things to try and get by and the one thing that they need is just each other community and to wrap it up with nobody's perfect it's just like the perfect the perfect little button to end the whole movie on and then the other thing that that makes me think about is how perfectly that exemplifies why filmmaking as an art form is so kind of amazing is that you you really get to like make these collaborative stories as opposed to like say a novel where pretty much everything's written by just one person and maybe you have some collaboration with your editor but in a movie even a really small budget movie you'll have a writer you'll have a director you'll have producers you'll have key artists behind the camera you'll have the actors in front of the camera all interpreting the story in their own way and filling it out with their own unique visions and then finally that gets all kind of edited together and collaged together by the editor who has their own unique vision and it it creates this kind of entirely unique story by the end that could only happen through this insane process of getting hundreds of people to work together simultaneously on on telling this story and that's why i think like movies you can't you can't get any kind of story like a movie story outside of the movies it just can't happen it can't exist maybe maybe theater maybe theater is the only other place but theater has its own wonderful storytelling process too of kind of reinterpretation yeah that was my little diatribe on loving movies (laughs) no no you know i think this movie is you know a perfect example of of a film that can only exist in film so why don't we jump over to the kitchen and start discussing what a perfect dish would be to be for this film some like it hot Welcome back. Let's jump in. Let's talk flavors, Chase. I would say the primary flavor for me is sweetness. It's it's a very happy-go-lucky kind of film, you know? It's not too dark. Yes, I think for me, there's two very primary flavors in this film. Sweet and spicy. That's Sweet the other being big happy and spicy being surprise. Mm-hmm. I think there's not really much anger. There's not really much sadness or like there's like very minimal because it's very overshadowed. All those other flavors are overshadowed 
by these intense flavors of sweetness and spicy, which are, uh, again, surprise and happy. Like it's a happy comedy film, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it has a lot of that. And it even has elements, you know, like the surprise being like how it just constantly changes. The film starts off and you're kind of thinking, oh, is this going to be like a mob comedy kind of thing? Two guys in Chicago trying to live and make make a living as musicians in Chicago. And then it quickly turns into they're off to Florida and then they're pretending to be females in a all-female band. And then it turns into, oh, they're trying to woo a Marilyn Monroe and trying to get rich off of an old man millionaire. And like the story just continues to twist and turn and like keep surprising you every like act of the movie. But then there's like sweetness throughout because each moment is funny and filled with jokes and kind of witty humor and like uh, snappy lines from the actors and and I guess the screenwriter. So yeah, that's what my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I think the primary flavors are sweet and spicy as well. I, I put them as 50% sweet and 40% spicy on my list here. And then I do think there's like a little bit of fear or a bitter flavor and a little bit of, of sadness or salty flavor, just because I think those are kind of necessary and under underpinnings of the story that make the story feel that much more fulfilling. You know, like, I don't think this whole story would feel as hilarious or as well-balanced as it was if there wasn't the fear that, oh, the mafia guys are going to come kill our two favorite drag musicians. Or the sadness of all these kind of, like, lost characters, like the Marilyn Monroe character, I think has, like, a really, has a tinge of sadness to it. And, and also, so does the Joey Brown character, has a tinge of sadness to it that kind of heightens their comedic performances and so I, I think it's they're not like very present i, I put them as like five percent each so together yeah, they're yeah. they're ten percent of the film so not very much but they're they are there and they balance the the flavors and, and kind of deepen the flavors in a really nice True. nice profound way sorry you said sadness and fear 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 is bitter sadness is salty yeah. So we Am have I, some bitter yeah. and saltiness that's added a little bit in there as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see it. I see it. Yeah, and even to go deeper into it, I think like just to throw out some other elements of it, there's like this fresh, like tangy kind of refreshing citrusy kind of flavor throughout of just like a whoa you went from like a cool cold place to like a warm bright environment and all this kind of energetic lively spirit of these actors and this like tropical breeze kind of gives some visual flavor i guess you would say but also like you know we have like that sizzling i'm using cooking words here something like that sizzling romance between the characters in that element as well we have those moments of like heat and sweetness through the the characters in in that way as well in a more like abstract viewpoint of of the flavors but yeah i i do agree that spicy and sweet are the primary flavors there but you do have that uh, sadness and um and fear throughout especially because the whole thing is based on fear where they have to run from the mob because they are they fear being murdered but again you know it's overshadowed by this sweetness this happiness of like oh it's just carefree they're one moment they're being shot at by the mafia the next moment they're twirling a bass a standing bass and singing kind of thing and drinking whiskey and making manhattans in the in the train car so you know the elements of bitter 
and fear definitely are there, but they're very subtle to the point, or like you said, they're just kind of added elements to help balance out the spicy sweet and, uh, you know, just add a deeper flavor to them. Completely agree. I, I, d- I definitely 100% agree with, with that uh, assessment. Do you think a movie should have kind of these balancing flavors as, as a film chef? Should filmmakers be trying to balance these flavors and add some some like bitter to their to their sweetness or some spicy to their sadness or or whatever to like oh, yeah. kind of create yeah. a more complex flavor? That's a very heated question. <laughs> Actually, now that I think about that. Objection leading the witness. <laughs> I know. Uh, I'm gonna just strict talk strictly of cooking for a second. And and then that's this is all gonna be referring back to film but when when cooking you always have to like balance out flavor and adding like some sourness to a dish or some sweetness to a dish like even like a spicy dish a lot of times they would add a little sweetness to it to like help balance out the spiciness to it or adding salt to a sweet dish to add that like balance of salty and sweet or or bitter you know like bitterness and adding like like a like a really dark chocolate that's not super sweet but has like that bitterness to it that kind of helps balance out that flavor and i think dishes especially like good dishes good meals good cooks really try to balance those flavors and you know there are times where you eat a cookie and it's definitely really sweet but then you have other like bitterness or saltiness that goes in with it that helps balance it out opposed to you know a steak you know it's not going to be like sweet right but you know like there's different dishes that i mean a steak that won't be like oh i'm eating a cookie amount level of sweetness to it different dishes call for different balances and there's no one recipe to do one thing you know you can make a cookie like a savory cookie you can make like a a more bitter cookie a more sweet cookie a more sour cookie you know there's the amounts of ways you can tweak a recipe and adjust the balance is so unique and that's what i really love about cooking is that you can really have that amount of like finesse to cooking to each recipe and this goes back to now film where i think filmmakers do need to have that balance and imagine if this was just all jokes all the time it could work it could work but i think that balance between it is what got it on this list of the top 20 films of in american history so i think that balance is really important i agree with everything you said it it just having a a more balanced approach to your flavors actually makes the dish richer as opposed to trying to just add all sweetness to your comedy movie so that it's the most comedy pushed into a, a, a single movie ever that doesn't really work unless you're adding some things to like make the comedy stand out and punchier. That's what you really want is punchier comedy, not comedy all the time. And I think like cooking is like that too, where you are constantly striving to redo dish, remake it or make something else to kind of slowly learn and, and get better at the balancing act of doing this. But I want to say to segue into some dishes, which we're talking about these great balance of flavors between spicy and and sweet. And the first thing that I kind of came to mind when we were talking about this throughout this conversation is KFC. 
Okay. All right. All right. Well, now that was a joke slightly. By what I mean by KFC, I mean Korean fried chicken. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> yes. Which is the first thing I thought of, which is, have you ever had like uh, Korean fried chicken? I don't think so. I like Korean barbecue, but I've never had, I think, Korean fried chicken specifically. Think of like Wingstop or Buffalo Wild Wings or something like that, if you've been to those places where mm-hmm. there are like chicken wings, but they have like an interesting mix of Korean spices. So, for instance, they have like a honey, garlic, uh, gochujang, which is like a Korean chili paste, fried chicken. So mm-hmm. you have like this sweetness from the honey, but then you have like a spiciness from the like gochujang or like these chili. The yeah, chili. it's like fermented chilies, right? Yes. I had a very similar idea, which was a spicy honey glazed chicken wing. So I, I do feel like we had an, an, an initial ideas that were the same for sure. Okay. Yeah, because I think specifically when I think of like a good balance of spicy and sweet, I I think Korean cuisine is a really good place to go because I think a lot of them have that really nice balance of like slightly spicy, slightly sweet. So I think Korean cooking in general could be, there's a lot of dishes that I feel like we could choose from for for this. But I want to throw out some other ones because I kind of also thought of a few other ideas as we're talking about this. One was like, Maybe like an Indian mango chutney. Mm, that sounds amazing. Because, uh, you know, like you have like that that tropical mango kind of citrus sweetness. But then mm. you also have like those that heat from the, the chilies and the ginger, which would really give that spiciness to it. Right. So I think that could be one. And then the, the other last one I thought of as we're talking about this was like a kind of Mexican styled sweet and spicy salsa, like a, a salsa with like tomatoes and uh, mango. And also you have like those other elements you can add there. So you can definitely in this one really easily add your bitter and your saltiness to it as well. But also you have like the spiciness from whatever pepper you want to use, a jalapeno, habanero, depending on how some like it hot, so maybe a habanero would be preferred in this one or some like ghost peppers or something, you know, depending on how, how hot you like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that those were like my three first ideas. So what do you, what do you think? Do you want to circle back to the first one since we both kind of had that as an idea or did you, what do you think of the other two? I, I Well, let me add a couple you. of my ideas here. Sure, go ahead. So um, I also was thinking about kind of South American flavors because I felt like that felt more right considering the primary location of most of this movie is Miami, Florida. So I I started with that and I came up with these two ideas. I also had had the instinct to kind of step away from a traditional kind of meal dish and think about something more like a, a cocktail or a drink since this movie is kind of in that I don't know adult beverage kind of idea for me it felt like this this movie feels to me like a adult beverage of films if that makes sense uh-huh. so okay. um, the first place I went was a spicy Mexican hot chocolate with some kind of alcohol I don't know what kind of alcohol would go well with that but some kind of alcohol that would be added to that and so Singing like it could be like a really dark chocolate, hot chocolate with like chili powder and cinnamon and honey and maybe some cayenne pepper to just, you know, 
have more of that spiciness and sweetness and then you could add like salt on it like sea salt and then you get that little little kick of salt uh, and then the other place i went was a a mexican coffee which there's a, a drink called a mexican coffee which oh. is a cocktail made from hot coffee tequila uh, kalua honey and a sprinkle of cinnamon and cayenne pepper which i felt like kind of wrapped up all of the flavors pretty nicely and also there's a joke in there because the movie at the beginning when they're in the speakeasy there is a, a through line of them talking about how they're not drinking alcohol they're all drinking coffee that's all they're doing in this speakeasy which is obviously not true and so i thought it was funny that it would be a mexican coffee as well so it could oh, just be like okay. the i don't know some like it hot coffee i don't know nice i like it Okay, so uh, you're, you're you're speaking my language there, Chase, because here's the thing. Besides cooking, I love bartending. I'm not a bartender, but I always wish I would have been because I love to make cocktails and I, I like to drink, but I, I don't I'm not one of those people who like to drink to get drunk. I love to drink because of the same idea behind cooking for me in terms of like how can I combine these ingredients and balance them out to make like an interesting flavor drink and often they're use alcohol in them so I do love this idea when you first said it I initially thought of like a margarita like a like a spicy margarita and, mm -hmm. not, and I'm not talking about those people out there who drink margaritas that are just like add the, a margarita mix into a blender and blend it. I'm talking about like a traditional margarita that with like tequila, usually would add some like orange liqueur, probably like some Contra or something. And which is also like orange citrus kind of uh, and also like a little bit of bitterness time in there as well. But you do have your sweetness from like a like an agave nectar or some simple syrup or something. But you can also add some you know, jalapeno slices into the shaker. So when you shake it together, you have a little bit of spiciness to it. And then you can also like rim the glass in some like salt or something like that. Add like a freshly sliced jalapeno on top of an ice cube and bada bing, bada boom, you have a like spicy margarita. I do like that idea, but I think I do love your coffee thing, which I, yeah, I don't know. The thing is, though, like a spicy mocha cocktail, you said, kind of thing. Is that what you're kind of saying? Like a spicy There were two coffee. ideas. There was a spicy Mexican hot chocolate. That was one. Mm -hmm. And then there was a second drink called a Mexican coffee, which is another, like, I think an actual drink that people actually make, which is basically like hot coffee with Kahlua and tequila. My worry with the, the drinks is that they're all kind of lean, heavily bitter, which isn't really mm. this movie. Well, but we could find ways to sweeten it up. Mm. And so that that question led me to another drink, which this is my final idea that I was okay. I, I came Shoot. across. Which this is a this was a very popular drink in the Prohibition era, uh, and it was called the Bee's Knees, and it combines gin, honey, and lemon juice. Love a Bee's Knees. Yeah, uh, and so it's like spicy. Oh, I, I, or it's not spicy yet. It's very sweet, but then you can add a spicy kick to it by muddling a jalapeno pepper and add it into the shaker uh, before you pour it. So you get this kind of sweet and spicy, like gin, honey thing. And then I also like the idea that it's like a lemon drink because of Jack Lemon. <laughs> Florida, famous for lemons. I'm just kidding. Isn't it the orange state or something? Oh, that might be true. I, I don't know. It's a citrus it state. It's Which I enough. was thinking of like Palomas actually initially when you said cocktails because I was like even though Palomas would be grapefruits but still I think 
grapefruits would be closer to an orange than uh, mm. like a lemon or a lime would be. I like this idea for a, a bee's knees because a bee's knees is one of my favorite cocktails. And it's, it's such an easy drink to have and it's really easy to make. And a lot of bars can't make it because, you know, a lot of bars don't have honey. Anyways, I do think an uh, interesting thing is spice could be mean different a lot of different things, right? We don't necessarily have to throw in a, a jalapeno or something like cayenne pepper or something like that to make it spicy. There's another drink called like a hot toddy, which is like a hot drink. They use a honey ginger syrup that adds like a sweetness and a ginger, like spicy gingerness to it. Mm. I think ginger has like that spicy hot feeling. It's not mm-hmm. hot like, oh my gosh, my mouth is burning hot. It's but like, like ooh, I can, I can feel it burning in my throat, in my stomach, this like warmth, this spicy warmth of ginger, fresh ginger, right? And I think my idea, I kind of either like this this coffee idea or this bee's knees. I think those are my two favorites. So I think bee's knees, but maybe adding like a, or make like a ginger honey syrup. So when you shake together this, the li- the lemon, when you shake the gin, the lemon, and the, the honey ginger syrup, you have like this sweet, slightly spicy flavor. And then you have like that botanical gin freshness from the gin. And you have that citrus tangy, sour kind of flavor from the lemon. Sweetness. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. I mean, I like it. I, I, even if we went with just like the straight hot toddy kind of idea, we could call it some like it hot toddy. Nope, don't like that one. Uh, you know, because <laughs> I don't know. I think I, I do like it, but I think just a hot toddy, I think just like, I don't know, something about maybe just it's just me that I love a bee's knees that I like it so much more than a hot toddy. And also, I also like I, it I will... that it's like a lemon juice drink too so because it does have that connection to jack lemon so i mean both hot toddy the only the only two differences between these ideas actually is that a hot toddy is usually served as its name it's served hot Uh also it has whiskey instead of gin Mm. so i prefer gin i love gin i'll just say that so i think that could work but also i think for your idea for like a coffee mexican coffee thing i'm imagining like a uh, a little bit of espresso and some like some simple syrup or something like that some dark rum a coffee liqueur Uh, i'm maybe not necessarily has to be kalua because i'm not necessarily a big fan of kalua but there's some other really great coffee liqueurs anyways have like a nice coffee liqueur a dark rum, some simple syrup, like a shot of espresso. And then you, I, I'm thinking of if you want to make it like spicy, you can add some like cinnamon or uh, some like cayenne or something like cardamom or something like that to within it a little bit to kind of bring a little bit of spiciness. There's this coffee shop that's near me that that uses this cold brew uh, like milk coffee that they add a little bit of cayenne pepper to it. And it has like this spicy, fiery kind of flavor to it. I personally don't really like it because I'm not really a big fan of like really hot, spicy drinks, but it is really popular. And also I can even see if you want to add a little bit more sweetness to it. We can even put like a whipped cream top to it with like a cinnamon stick straw or something like that. Because also if you add the whipped cream and stuff, you can kind of better balance out the spicy and have like a the whipped cream will add an additional sweetness to the dish on top of the kind of already slightly sweetened 
but also has that kick of like cayenne pepper or some kind of spiciness to the actual base of the drink. I love both those ideas. I'm actually going to put it in your court because I feel like I'm the one who usually dictates with which one I like most and kind of fight for it. But I think I'm kind of torn between these two t- today. So which ones do you, do you of those do you like? I think I like the spicy Mexican coffee idea a little more just because of the meta joke of it being called coffee and be alcoholic and that yeah. being a running joke throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah. I do like that too. I, I when you said it, I was like, that's so funny because that's like one of the one of the funniest jokes I, I felt. I really loved those the beginning part when he's just like, Oh, uh, what kind of coffee do you want? You know? Do you want American coffee or like mm-hmm. it was like such a funny kind of little clever thing of uh nod to the prohibition and like how everyone's drinking coffee and the guy's just like oh i just want another cup of coffee just one more cup of coffee so i think this is the elements of it that that i think just fit really perfect to it so okay let's do it let's do some like it hot coffee a cocktail drink that uses coffee coffee liqueur some rum some cayenne pepper and top it all off with some whipped cream and a cinnamon stick i also like the whipped cream with the cinnamon stick because something about that feels very 1950s to me i think we have a great dish for this let's kind of wrap it up then how, how do you feel some like it hot coffee i think that's perfect yeah cool but I, I think that decides it then all right well that wraps it up for this episode of filmmakers cookbook i hope you enjoyed listening to us talk about it and break down this film do you agree with us let us know on instagram or twitter <laughs> at film cookbook and i also want you to all try out this drink and try to make your own concoction of a Some Like It Hot coffee at home. Give us a review online on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you're listening to this. Tell us what you think of this dish, if you made it, and or if it sounds good to you. Let us know. And as always, hope you enjoyed. And that will be a wrap on the film Some Like It Hot. We'll see you all in two weeks. It's been a blast. Toodaloo, everyone. Bye.